This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you decided to listen in today. If you're a new listener, this is where we talk about what's going on in the current economy, in the current investing environment, based on what's happened historically. And if you have not yet gotten a copy of my book published last year titled Revenue Sourcing, which provides strategies for you and your money in the post-pandemic economy, I'd like to invite you to get a complimentary copy. Uh, That book is available by visiting myrevenuesourcingbook.com. Just let us know where to mail your copy of that book. We'd be very glad to do that. The website, again, is myrevenuesourcingbook.com. This will be the last week that we offer that book on a complimentary basis. So when you look at what's going on in the economy, we have emerging inflation. We have stocks that are continuing to maintain what I believe are extremely overvalued levels. We have a real estate market that is seeing for the last couple of months sales slow down, but prices are continuing to rise. We're starting to see some cracks in the foundation there. I'd like to have you this segment Let me have you entertain the notion that where we are today is somewhat predictable. If you've been a longtime listener to the program or you've read my New Retirement Rules book, you know that I believe that a currency money cycle exists, which simply means that money changes over time. Now, I know that sounds maybe a bit difficult to believe because the green notes in your wallet or your purse maybe haven't looked much different during your lifetime. But allow me to explain because as money changes or evolves, so do economic and investing conditions. Now I'm going to go back and have you think about silver coins that were minted before 1965 in the United States. These coins are 90% silver. They still exist in great quantities. And the interesting thing about these coins were that for every $100 face amount you had, and let me explain what I mean by that. If you had 100 silver dollars, if you had 200 half dollars, if you had 400 quarters, if you had 1,000 dimes, any combination of coins adding up to $100, you had about 72 ounces of silver. You take the face amount times about 72%. That's not exact, but it's close. And you have that amount of silver in ounces. Well, that's the last time in U.S. history that there was money that circulated that had real, intrinsic, tangible value. Now, at that same time, there was something called a silver certificate that circulated. And when you look at the stages of the currency money cycle, typically we have hard money, then we have paper money with a link to hard money, and then we have a fiat currency where there's no link to hard money. Our money is simply currency by fiat or by government decree. And of course, every currency in the world today is a fiat currency. But let me go back and discuss the silver certificate with you for just a moment. Because in 1964, if you had a $10 silver certificate, it said that the bearer, 
whoever had that silver certificate was entitled to get $10 of silver. It was redeemable for $10 in silver, payable to the bearer on demand. So if you had a $10 silver certificate, you could go to the bank and get 10 silver dollars. Now, in 1964, those 10 silver dollars and that $10 silver certificate had absolutely identical purchasing power. However, in 1965, a law was passed that said that there was no longer going to be a silver, silver certificate circulating, and if you had them, they were just redeemable for a Federal Reserve note. And a Federal Reserve note is what we use today as money. If you have 10 silver dollars today, you have 7.2 ounces of silver, and you have roughly somewhere north of $200 of purchasing power. That's very illustrative of how money is a good store of value over time. Money has intrinsic, tangible value, and currency is simply what is used in commerce. Now, this currency money cycle, to finish the thought, starts out with hard money. There's then paper money with a link to hard money, and then there's a fiat currency. Now, 100% of the time, historically speaking, fiat currencies have failed. Now, why do fiat currencies always fail, historically speaking? Well, it's because the policymakers, the politicians in charge, print too many of them, and at some point, those who are using the currency lose confidence in the currency, and they demand a different currency in which they can feel more confident. And then you typically see this currency money cycle come full circle, and the fiat currency evolves into a hard money system once again. Now, I believe when you take a look at what's going on today, we are nearing the end of this fiat currency cycle. Now, do I think that the failure of the U.S. dollar, of the euro, do I think it's imminent? No, I don't think it is. Do I think eventually that we will see currencies look different than they look today? I think that, when you study history, is inevitable. Because we're on a path that is, frankly, unsustainable. If you look just at U.S. government debt, the gap between tax revenues and government expenditures is widening at an ever-increasing rate. There's only three ways to fund that deficit. One, you can raise taxes. In the interest of time, I won't discuss it here, but I can show you that it's mathematically impossible to solve our current debt and deficit problem by raising taxes. Those in politics that would put forth the rhetoric, let's tax the rich, let's make the rich pay their fair share, the reality is we could take 100% of the wealth of billionaires in the United States, apply it to the national debt, and it's, the debt would still be in excess of $20 trillion. Don't fall for the rhetoric. There's only two ways remaining that this can be addressed. One is to cut spending. The other is to continue to print currency. 
Well, just think for a moment, what would happen if spending were to be cut dramatically? Now, I've seen different numbers on this, but the most recent number that I've seen is that government spending would have to be cut across the board by about 50% in order to eliminate the deficit. And that assumes that the economy would maintain its current level. Because government spending is included in economic output, it's a given that it would not. And can you imagine the economic devastation that would occur if government spending were to be cut 50%? I don't see that as being an outcome that is even being considered. So the only remaining option that policymakers have is to print currency. And that's what they've been doing. The Federal Reserve, since last year, has purchased 90% of all long-term government debt. Think about that for a minute. 90% of all long-term government debt has been purchased by the Federal Reserve. Where did the Federal Reserve get the money to buy the debt? If you said they created it out of thin air, you'd be correct. So if the Federal Reserve is creating money to buy government debt, that's essentially indirectly monetizing U.S. government debt. How much longer will it be until those using U.S. dollars will say, wait a minute, they're printing too many of these. I don't want to hold them anymore. Russia recently announced that they were going to de-dollarize. All the dollars held in their national wealth fund were going to be replaced with other assets, with one of those assets being gold. So if you've not yet taken steps to protect yourself from inflation and the deflation that occurs when the inflation stops, I would encourage you to get a copy of the Revenue Sourcing Book. The Revenue Sourcing Book contains strategies that you can consider for your situation to protect yourself, to put together a retirement plan that may allow you to not only survive but prosper if we have inflation followed by deflation. And if you're just joining me, again, you can get a copy of that Revenue Sourcing Book by visiting the website, myrevenuesourcingbook.com. The website, again, is myrevenuesourcingbook.com. All you have to do when you visit the website is let me know where you'd like me to mail that book. I'd be very glad to do that. And again, this will be the last week that we offer the bestseller from last year on a complimentary basis. MyRevenueSourcingBook.com is the website. And if you're not yet using the RLA app, visit the App Store on your smartphone. Search for your RLA. That's Y-O-U-R-R-L-A. You'll find the app. You can download it for free, and all of our free resources are available through the app. So, again, that's your RLA. Just visit the App Store on your smartphone, and you'll get access to all of our free resources. I'll be back after these words with my special guest, Mr. Michael Pento.
Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Joining me once again on today's program is returning guest, Mr. Michael Pento. Uh, undoubtedly, you probably recognize Michael as a frequent commentator on uh, many radio and television programs. Uh, his website is pentoport.com, and I would encourage you to check out his podcast, The Midweek Reality Check. Again, the website, pentoport.com. And Michael, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me on, Dennis, and believe me, we have a lot to talk about. Boy, do we. So, Michael, Jerome Powell says inflation is transitory. They've got it completely under control. Do you believe them? Well, I mean, even Bloomberg now is saying that Mr. Powell is making stuff up. The man has no idea. And I'm not blaming him, and I'm not even just blaming the FOMC. Listen, you can't put 15 people together in a room men and women, human beings, that aren't God, and have them determine what the price of money should be and how much money they should counterfeit every month. It, it, it just deforms and morphs and distorts every single price on the planet, especially here in the United States. So when Mr. Powell says, you know, uh, we want stable prices. No, 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 we don't want stable prices. We want 2% inflation. No, we don't want 2% inflation. We want 2.5% inflation for the same duration that it was above 2%. Um, then he engenders 5% CPI inflation, 6% producer price inflation, double-digit double inflation, if you measure it in the real world, you know, before hedonics and substitutions and the Boskin Commission. And then he panics and said, oh, uh, well, it's going to be transitory and we're going to start you know, reducing our asset purchase program pretty quickly. And then the stock market drops 2.5% surrounding those comments. And then he comes out again and says, oh, no, we, maybe we'll take our time in raising rates. I mean, if anybody is placing confidence in our central bank, they're in for a rude and very um, costly awakening. <laughs> Michael, don't you think when you go back and just just take a look at what the real inflation rate is? You mentioned some of the uh, you know manipulations that have been uh, uh, applied to the calculated inflation rate, the CPI. Um, you know, don't you think we have at this point you know 70s style inflation? We sh we certainly do. I mean, John Williams says it's the 12 percent uh, inflation. Um, but here's the thing, Dennis. Why do we have inflation, consumer price inflation today? Whereas pre-pandemic, it was around 2%. I'm, again, again, I understand the way they measure it. Why is it 5 now and 2 pre-pandemic? Well, because we paid $50,000 of money, paid American families $50,000 in various forms of cash between March of 2020 and March of 2021. That's why you paid people to stay home and not work in enhanced unemployment. You paid people thousands of dollars in checks to stay home and not produce goods and services. That created bottlenecks. It created supply shortages. So of course we have inflation right now. But here's the question, and this is something I think Jerome Powell and the FOMC completely miss. They don't know what causes inflation. They think inflation is caused by too many people working. Dennis, when are the last two times? These are two times in the United States of America post-World War II 
when we've had a big problem with inflation. One was the 70s, and one was right after the pandemic. The unemployment rate surged in both those occasions. Inflation doesn't come from people working. It comes from exactly what I said, debauching your currency and people losing faith in the purchasing power of the dollar. And if you add on to that shortages, you get skyrocketing inflation, which is exactly what we have right now. And I think Powell misses the whole thing. Powell is going to try to crush inflation, or at least cap it, in 2022. He's going to stop printing $120 billion of QE every month, $1.44 trillion a year in confetti, in counterfeit money, which is what it is. It's not backed by anything. It's complete fiat. Doesn't represent goods or services that have been produced. Doesn't represent gold mined from the ground, silver mined from the ground. It represents nothing. It's a keystroke. A $1.44 trillion. You know, per annum, the Fed's balance sheet now, Dennis, is over $8 trillion. It was $800 billion prior to the Great Recession of December 2007. So, so Mike, this is why we have inflation now. Powell's going to crush, try to cap inflation in 2022, but inflation is going to die on its own because guess what? We're no longer sending helicopter money to people. People will be getting back in the workforce, bottlenecks will ease, and the money supply growth rate will plunge in 2022 because of a fiscal and monetary cliff. And that's the real problem. I think the next real problem, even though I completely predicted and acknowledged that inflation is running hot, white hot right now, the next issue is going to be disinflation and then deflation in 2022 and 23. That's when the bad stuff really happens, deflation. So, so describe that fiscal and monetary cliff. So are you saying really then that inflation becomes the – the, the pin that somehow sadistically pops the bubble and deflation kicks in as a result? So first, we're going to have a, a period of disinflation. I don't know if it's going to be six months or a year. I, you know, I have a model that measures it, but it predicted the inflation, and now it's predicting disinflation. I know I'm correct because of what I just explained, the fiscal cliff. You know, you're no longer going to be paying people $300 a week in enhanced unemployment. You're no longer sending out helicopter money to people thousands of dollars, $50,000 for family. You are now telling them 41 million people have to start paying their student loans, $1.7 trillion of student loan debt, twice, as, twice the amount that exists in credit card debt. You have to start paying your mortgage in the fall of this year. The child tax credit expires at the end of this year. So there's, there's, a, there's a big fiscal cliff coming. And even this infrastructure package, if it's passed, it's a trillion dollars spread out over 10 years. It's nothing. It's nothing compared to $6 trillion in 12 months. So you have a fiscal cliff coming. You have a monetary cliff coming because we won't, you know, the Fed's not going to be raising rates until 2023, perhaps. I agree with that. But they will be ceasing printing $1.44 trillion per annum. It's going to go from that figure to zero in 2022. So you, you are susceptible, from, susceptible to morphing from disinflation to deflation sometime in that duration. 
So, Michael, don't you think that if we see this 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 deflationary period kick in, won't the Fed's response be that hey, we need we need to fix this? I mean, stocks don't like disinflation; they don't like deflation, and the you know the Fed's had a stated objective of wanting to keep the stock market up there. So, I agree 100% with you, Dennis. But that's why I have an actively managed strategy. I mean, I can't sit here and tell you. Well, eventually gold's going to ten thousand dollars an ounce. Eventually, we're going to hyperflate into oblivion. So just buy some, buy a lot of gold and short the dollar. Well, that's probably great advice. But what do you do between then and now? You know, gold and the dollar. Gold seems to go down in liquidity crises, like a deflationary environment. Um, you know what else really seems to do really well when you hit deflation? The dollar. The dollar seems to go up. Short-term treasuries really benefit when we have a deflationary crisis. So I just try to get the timing right, but you're, you're correct. We're still going to end up in a big inflationary environment, but after the next collapse, what is the history of the Fed, Dennis? Let's look at 2000 to 2021. What does the Fed always do? They create this massive bubble. Then they start to prick it by raising interest rates, reducing you know the money supply, tightening f financial conditions. That's what they always do. Then they pop the bubble. Then in arrears, ex post, they try to fix it by doing what? Lowering interest rates and printing money. Well, look, you know, look at 2008. We had 1% Fed funds rate from 2003 to 2004. We gradually raised rates to 5.25%, and then the bottom fell out of the housing market. Then they came and reduced rates to 0%, and every iteration of this cycle, what happens? Debt levels explode, asset prices get bigger and bigger, and the threshold for which triggers the collapse gets lower and lower. Now it's two and a half percent. In two, in, you know, in 2019, 2019, the Fed was lowering interest rates three times from two and a half percent to 1.75 percent before there was any COVID-19 crisis, because the amount of debt and asset bubbles that have been created just prohibit any severe or or transient or um, significant tightening in monetary policy. It doesn't happen. So I would imagine that the Fed is going to tighten monetary policy in 2022. They'll do it until we hit a, a deflationary crash where the credit markets freeze up. The stock market, stock market will plunge 30 to 50% in a matter of a few weeks. And then Jerome Powell will say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't mean that. We're going to cut interest rates. But cut, Dennis, Cut interest rates from where? They'll still be at zero. This is the first time. This will be the first time in history that the Fed is going to have a deflationary crisis, an economic crisis on their hands, with no room whatsoever to lower interest rates. Well, Michael, we have one minute left in this segment. Tell the folks about your midweek reality check podcast. So I put it out once a week, every Wednesday. You're correct. It's called the midweek reality check. You get thoughts like this that you won't find in the mainstream financial media. You'll get data that you won't find in the mainstream financial media because they tend to hide it and bury it because they're both, you know, mostly cheerleaders. They're apologists for the stock market. I'm not. I have a long, short strategy. And the long, short strategy goes long and short stocks when the time is appropriate. So the website is pentaport.com. And uh, on that, you'll find access to, to the uh, podcast. Well, we're going to have to leave it there. My guest today is Mr. Michael Pento. I'll be back and continue my conversation with Michael when RLA Radio returns. Stay with us.
I'm Dennis Tubergen. You're listening to RLA Radio. I'm chatting today with Michael Pento. Uh, Michael's website is pentoport.com, and his uh, podcast, uh, released every Wednesday, is the Midweek Reality Check. I'd encourage you to check it out. So, Michael, going into the end of this year, uh, how do you see inflation playing out, and how do you see it affecting the stock market? Well, I see a period of disinflation before we perhaps uh, you know, jump the shark into deflation. And disinflation doesn't mean panic. It doesn't mean the stock market can't continue to rise. It just means you want to know what sectors to own in disinflation. So clearly in disinflation, which is a period of time where nominal rates will fall and perhaps real, real interest rates will fall as well, um, you want to own bond and bond proxies. You want to own gold because gold loves disinflation. Get that. It doesn't like periods of excess growth and strong inflation because real interest rates rise. So I told my investors last year in the fall of 2020 to get out of gold because I saw it was going to happen in 2021. I called it the vaccine dead zone. There's a period of time where the economy reopens. Growth is going to be rip-roaring. You know, we have you – know, Dennis, we have 15% nominal GDP growth. That's not going to last. That's not sustainable. Inflation at 5% isn't sustainable unless you're going to tell me that the Congress of the United States is going to pass another round of massive multiple trillion dollars in helicopter money. They'll do it. They just won't do it in 2021. <laughs> They'll do it in response to the deflationary crash of 2022 slash 2023. So bond and bond proxies, you want to buy growth instead of deep cyclicals. Um, and uh, you want to be on guard and aware, have a model that understands when the next crisis comes. So here's an example. Triple C debt, which is just one notch above default. So it's the, think of it as the junkiest of junk bonds. It's junk bonds that are almost in default. That yield is 7%. The average is 14%. In the year 2000, before the Fed really usurped the entire free market and killed it, murder one, mass murder of markets, I call it, the um, triple C corporate debt yield was 20%. And if you just want to look at regular junk debt, that has a three-handle, Dennis. Three? You people are paying just below 4% for junk bonds, which is below the interest rate you used to get on Fed funds rate, Dennis. So here's what I'm saying. The Fed isn't going to be able to, tight, isn't going to, be able to tighten monetary policy very far before the deflation starts to uh, appear, becomes manifest. And, then the, and in that condition... There's, I call it the four horsemen of the apocalypse that you want to own. You want to own a lot of cash. You want to be long the dollar. You want to be able to short stocks. And you have to go long short-term treasuries. Those are the four. If you can do that, if you can identify when the next credit crisis comes, because it's going to come from the corporate debt market. The, the, the repo market is going to freeze. The corporate debt market is going to shut down. That's my opinion. And when that happens, you're going to have a massive liquidity crisis where the stock market hits a vacuum. And what are the four things you're going to want to own are the four things? I've, those are the only four things that will work in that situation. Long the dollar, long short-term treasuries, cash, and short-term short -term treasuries. That's it. 
So, Michael, when you take a look at you, you mentioned uh, uh, gold and silver uh, tend to perform well in a disinflationary environment. Uh, how do you read the recent pullback in gold and silver? Do you see that as uh, price manipulation? Do you see it as short covering? What's your opinion? No, I, I think I think it's it's predictable. I predicted it. It's very predictable. Listen, the tape, the last taper tantrum occurred in 2013, May of 2013, and gold didn't like that. Gold does not like the threat of higher interest rates because gold does you know, it's an asset that doesn't, doesn't pay any dividends. There's no cash flow associated with it. So when you so when you have a zero interest rate environment or an environment where the second derivative of growth and inflation is falling, you expect nominal rates to contract and real rate interest rates to fall. Gold loves that. That occurs in disinflation. So that's the best that's one of the best environments for gold is a period of disinflation and that's where we're headed in my opinion in the latter portion of 2021 and into 2022. Now the only issue with gold is it is liquid and will be sold by the hedge funds and the shadow banking system during a liquidity crisis, which I see coming. And that's deflate. That's a deep deflation. So gold likes disinflation. It likes a mild deflation. It likes stagflation. But what it cannot occupy, which is untenable for gold, is a period of rising periods of growth and periods of rising inflation, because real interest rates will rise, especially if growth is accelerating faster than inflation. And that's when you want to you know, avoid gold, which is what I've done. But I'm now back into the gold market because I'm trying to get a position ready for the latter portion of 2021, which is you know, just a few months away. So, Michael, I've interviewed a number of respected analysts who expect a hyperinflationary outcome. Uh, we mentioned John Williams. I've interviewed Alistair McLeod. Um, mm -hmm. what, what would your opinion be um, as far as a hyperinflationary outcome? It sounds like you're not in that camp. Well, you know, listen, uh, Dennis, my, I, I have an SEC-registered RIA here. I mean, I'm just trying to make my clients money in all situations. So it doesn't behoove me or my clients to say we're having a hyper, we're going into hyperinflation and invest like that always. I do believe that the U.S. economy could, and most probably will, enter a hyperinflationary scenario. But that's going to be that's going to be an, uh, a reaction after the next deflationary crisis. So let's just play this out. If in 2022 or maybe 2023 we have this big vacuum in stocks, real estate prices crash. Uh, stock market crashes. And in response to that, you get some kind of permanent form of helicopter money, MMT. And so interest rates will be at zero. You'll get a permanent form of, of helicopter money, which is money directly sent to people, not just the inflation you get on Wall Street, which is what happened in 2008. You know, we bailed out, you know, Goldman Sachs and we, you know, uh, all, the, uh, all the shadow banking system. We bailed everybody out. But those people were bailed out, and they just bought more stocks and more bonds. They didn't, you know, they didn't make loans to the average person on, on Main Street because they were, you know, debt saturated. So um, I believe the next time we have a crisis, we already have the play. The the, uh, the, the uh, playbook is already out there. They've already done it. They'll do more and more helicopter money. That will create intractable inflation. And then you might have a problem of hyperinflation where, they, where, where you'll have the bond market, the, whatever's left of the free market in bonds, 
they'll short the bond market, sell what they have, and short it, and yields will go, you know, inexorably higher. That's the real risk. That's the real danger in the longer run. Because that's the problem. See, Dennis, the Fed can always save us. They'll save Wall Street from a problem caused by deflation. It's easy. They've done it many times before. You know, you have a hype. You have a you know uh, intractable inflation in assets, either either Nasdaq stocks or the or the uh, housing market. Then that results in a deflationary bust, and the Fed comes and rides to the rescue. Uh, but what are they going to do when the problem is? when the market crashes because of inflation. In other words, people lose faith in the sovereign bond market and in the U.S. dollar. That's the problem. So do you see that as, uh, am, I, am I hearing you correctly, you do see that as a, a, a potential outcome, but we're going to see a, a deflationary period first, and then that may come about as a reaction or as a response Correct. to that deflationary period. Correct. It's exactly what I'm saying. And I don't know if it's going to take two more iterations, two more turns of of intractable inflation and then deflation and then intractable inflation and then deflation again. I don't know if it's one more or two more iterations of this cycle. But that's eventually where we're headed. We're eventually headed to the point where investors completely eschew sovereign debt because they know that the U.S. is insolvent. And that, by the way, that's not just an... It's not just a U.S. phenomenon. <laughs> the same can be said for Japan and Europe. So I'm not looking for the dollar to crash against you know other fiat currencies. I'm looking for it to crash against hard assets. Michael, I'd love in the time we have left to get your opinion on uh, the future of digital currencies. Uh, do, do you see that ever <laughs> becoming a reality? Yeah. How much time do we have left, Dennis? <laughs> well, you've got about three and a half minutes. Okay. I'll try my best. Cut me off. Okay. Okay. So, and here comes the hate mail. Crypto assets are glorified block, um, I call them glorified barcodes. They're horrible currencies and they are not stores of value. Their utility is almost zero. Listen, think about gold. What makes gold so precious is that it's extremely rare. It's virtually indestructible and very beautiful. The currencies are not rare. There's an unlimited, mark this, there's 21 million Bitcoin in existence. So people say, oh, that's better than gold. No, there might be 21 million Bitcoin units out there that can be mined, but there's an unlimited number of cryptocurrencies and blockchains that you can create. So they're not a store of value at all. Um, and you think about currencies, well, what currency that have you ever heard of that can drop 50% in one week? I don't even think the Hungarian Pengo dropped 50% <laughs> in one week. So how, how in the world can a currency drop 50% in a week? But that's what Bitcoin did. That's what Ethereum did. So if, 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 it, if it takes a tremendous amount of energy to, to do a transaction, you can only do five transactions a minute. Maybe that goes away. Or maybe they fix that. But listen, the big thing, but I, the big thing about Bitcoin I don't understand is that it was, this was supposed to be a decentralized ledger, correct? Decentralized ledger. This was the big thing. But then you know they found the people who stole the Bitcoin, um, and the FBI found them and took it back because their wallet was was their uh, wasn't cold stored. It was online, and they took they they found out that because this ledger is so easy to trace, they found the stolen Bitcoin and took it from them. So 
what do you really own when you own Bitcoin? What do you really own and what in God's name makes it $35,000 per unit? I'll never understand. And no one can explain it to me. And I've, I've debated many people and they always lose the debate because they can never explain to me how something could be a store of value that has unlimited supply. Because every cryptocurrency performs the same thing. It's a decentralized ledger that's supposed to be anonymous and indestructible, immutable. But all those things turn out to be false. Because how did, they, how did the FBI find out you know, where these bitcoins were that, were that were used for ransom? Well, that's what happened. And if, you have an unlimited, and if you have an unlimited supply of cryptocurrencies and blockchains, they cannot be a store of value and they make horrific currencies. Well, that is, uh, that's always been my perspective, and um, the clock tells me we have to leave it there. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. My guest today has been Mr. Michael Pento. The website is pentoport.com. Check out his podcast, The Midweek Reality Check. Michael, thanks for joining us today, and love to catch up with you again down the road. Look forward to it, Des. We will return after these words. Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Thanks again to Mr. Michael Pento for joining us on today's program. You know, as I was talking to Michael this week, I was reminded of the, we'll call it a stern warning, put forth by one of the founding fathers, Thomas Jefferson. Mr. Jefferson said this, quote, If the American people ever allow private banks to control the issue of their currency, First by inflation, then by deflation, the banks and corporations that will grow up around them will deprive the people of all property until their children wake up homeless on the very continent their fathers conquered. So Mr. Jefferson said, first by inflation, then by deflation. Well, what did he mean by that? Well, I think to understand that completely, we have to define inflation. Inflation is simply an expansion of the money supply. Now, that's the technical definition. Now, when we think of inflation, we think of prices rising. That's a symptom of inflation. But inflation is technically an expansion of the money supply. And deflation is really the opposite. It's a contraction of the money supply. Well, this is really what Mr. Jefferson was getting at. If you allow private bankers to control the issue of your currency, money transitions from something that's tangible, something that has intrinsic real value like gold or silver, and it it becomes debt. And let me explain what that means, because back in 1971, then-President Richard Nixon temporarily suspended the redemptions of U.S. dollars for gold. After World War II... There was an agreement put together, an international agreement, that made the U.S. dollar redeemable for gold at a rate of $35 an ounce. Well, in the 1960s, because there were too many U.S. dollars created, 
a lot of foreign investors decided they would rather have the gold than the dollars. And there was a run on the bank, and President Nixon temporarily suspended the redemptions of U.S. dollars for gold, and that suspension has never resumed. So that was 50 years ago, almost. This August, it will be 50 years. And at that point, all new money was loaned into existence. Now, to some extent, that was true before then. Now, we operate, our banking system is a fractionalized reserve banking system. In a fractional reserve banking system, a banker has to reserve a portion of each deposit and can loan out the rest. Well, up until March of last year, banks were required to reserve 10% of all deposits. So if you went and put $100,000 into your bank, that your banker would have to reserve $10,000, but then your banker could loan out the other $90,000. The borrower of that $90,000 would deposit that money in her bank. That banker would reserve 10% or $9,000, and the other $81,000 would be loaned out. And this process would continue... And as long as enough people were borrowing money, as long as the velocity of money was great enough, more money was created. Now, this worked as long as people were willing to borrow money, as long as there was capacity to borrow money. And you can go all the way back to 1980 when interest rates were approaching 20% and see that really since 1980 up until the financial crisis, interest rates just went down. As interest rates went down, more money was loaned into existence. Then after the financial crisis, when interest rates were reduced to zero, nothing happened. That's when the Fed decided to embark on a program, a temporary program of quantitative easing or money creation. And it has gotten crazier and crazier as time has passed. In March of last year, The Fed told banks, member banks, don't worry about the 10% reserve requirement. You can operate with a 0% reserve. And on top of that, since the beginning of last year, the Fed has been printing via quantitative easing programs, uh, and their printing has expanded the money supply, the M2 money supply, according to John Williams, by about a third. Now, why does this money printing occur? Well, we hear things like stimulus, but essentially it's to mask the symptoms of debt. And we're not going to get away from the debt. The U.S. national debt now is over $28 trillion. Social Security has $43 trillion in unfunded liabilities. Student loans, as I talked about with my guest today, Michael Pento, $1.7 trillion. The payment moratoriums expire October 1, unless they're extended. Uh, credit card debt, almost $800 billion. Household debt is at an all-time high. And zombie companies, companies that really are surviving because they can borrow money, have $2.6 trillion in debt. So all this debt will have to be dealt with. It will have to be dealt with when the money printing stops. And the money printing will have to stop either proactively or reactively. And at that point, deflation will set in. Now, I talked about that with Mr. Pento today, and he gave you his take on timing. But there's certainly no doubt that inflation is here. The question is, when does the inflation stop and how? Do people begin to lose confidence in the currency? Or 
is there enough political pressure that mandates that the Fed tapers or stops printing? The question is, are you ready? Do you have strategies in place to protect yourself from both inflation and deflation? And to that end, I'd like to invite you to get a copy of my best-selling book from last year, Revenue Sourcing. You can go to the website, myrevenuesourcingbook.com. Let me know where to mail you a copy of the book, and I'll be very happy to do that. Again, the website is myrevenuesourcingbook.com, myrevenuesourcingbook.com. And also, if you're not yet using the RLA app, go to the App Store on your smartphone, search in the App Store under your RLA, that's Y-O-U-R-R-L-A. You'll get our free app and get access to all of our free resources. So again, that's at on the App Store on your smartphone. And you can always visit our website at retirementlifestyleadvocates.com to get access to resources there as well. That's all the time I have for this week. Hope you got something you can use. I'll be back again next week.